in your own time, man. Crack on. Okay, That's cool. cool. Hey guys, welcome back to Teen Muscle Radio and episode number twenty-four. Uh, so today I am very, very lucky to be joined by uh, David Kay, who is a pro natural bodybuilder. World champion and wins the award today for the most patient individual I've <laughs> met because uh, this is this is our second time recording this. So, um, but nevertheless, I'm sure you know the first time we went through this, we got incredible content. So I'm sure this will be a, a great episode for most, and it will allow you to get a bit more of an insight into Dave himself, his training methods, um, and just just sort of a general. Um, insight into uh, David's past and um, also some some of his current methods that are perhaps unorthodox um, which you may not have heard anyone else on this podcast talk about before um, but nevertheless will provide a lot of value to younger competitors out there um, so David uh, thanks first off for for, for having you on um, and yeah how are you today you're good <laughs> yeah I'm good mate yep absolutely uh, thanks very much CJ for having me on um, much appreciated. I've seen some of your work, so I'm looking forward to this. This will no, be good. Cool, cool, cool. Cheers. Right. So, um, first, first off, I'd really like to get into uh, the foundations of um, David's physique. Now, uh, we touched on we touched on sort of this um, in terms of David's uh, his physique and some of the pictures you'll see online in terms of the level of muscularity and the density at which David competes at. Um, people will come to a very quick conclusion that David, oh, he, he he cannot be natural. He cannot be a natural athlete, and it it's very <laughs> frustrating. I imagine it's incredibly frustrating for David because. What people don't realize is the years of hard, heavy training that have gone into yeah. creating uh, this physique. So I'm, you know, I, I, what I'd really like to get from you, David, initially is just, sure, you know, give us a bit of a background into how you got into training and um, whether that stemmed from from any other things and, and potentially, you know, those first years of initial building the, the foundations of your physique. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, AJ. Um, I'll probably I'll, I'll work this from the back to the front. Then um, I, you know, for guys like yourself and younger, you know, guys that compete, they've gone through the BNBF or any natural federation. They've competed in juniors, teens, and whatnot. Uh, they've been in the sport very young. I didn't compete. My first show, I was twenty four years old, going on twenty five. So I was. I guess you could argue it was a slightly late starter to the sport. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, I was involved in sport all my life. When I was younger, I was a competitive. Uh, I was involved in competitive swimming. I swam for my country um, at a very, very high level for, for over 10 years. And I also did a lot of athletics and had great success in, uh, in that sport. Um, you know, from the ages maybe like 10 all the way through to about 18. Okay. Um, to give you a bit of background, I was a sprinter mainly. But I was also very explosive, so I did well in things like long jump and high jump okay. um, and multi-events as well. And I was actually, I was a British champion, a record holder, uh, under 15 long jump and high jump. So oh. I was always, you know, I was always a type of guy. I was good at sport. I enjoyed sport. I love it. Um, super competitive. Um, so I was always active. Yeah. So I get. I guess you could say I was one of those kids that was always doing something, and I was always trying to be the best at it. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I get. I guess you could say I just. I'm just a big kid now, and I'm. I'm, I'm still the same. <laughs> but moving on, you know, to get 
a bit more kind of like direct with your question, how I got to the bodybuilding stage um, was primarily towards the end of my athletics career. We, uh, the, the, the sprint group that I trained with, we got into Olympic lifting because it was it was deemed to be, uh, you know, complementary for, for the sprinting. It built power. It was good for in, injury prevention. Mm-hmm. And it was it was just intended on basically enabling you to run that bit quicker over time. Sure. So me and, the, me and the guys would go in the gym and, you know, we'd do our Olympic lifts. We'd do a snatch, power clean. Um, we would squat. We would do bench press and a little bit of deadlift, and not actually that, you know, that much focus on deads and some accessory work. And I very quickly realised that the guys I used to sprint with um, used to do this weight training with me, but they didn't seem to ever put on any muscle, and I just seemed to be getting heavier and heavier <laughs> with, 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 the, with the weights that I did. And everyone used to joke to me saying, "Dave, you're like, you should go to bodybuilding. You know, that's." That that's obviously what you're kind of destined to do, yeah. um, and at the time I had no idea really what bodybuilding was, and nor did I really have much interest. Mm-hmm. So then moving on from that, I picked up one of the major problems with being a sprinter in Scotland is that you always pick up injuries. It's so cold outside, and you're doing yeah. speed work from a winter session, preparing for the indoors. It's like January, February. You're doing speed work out of blocks. I kept getting these recurrent hamstring niggles, and I got fed up. And I started spending more and more time in the weight room. Yeah. Um, and you'll find this is a common common scenario. A lot of guys who do well at bodybuilding are, are sportsmen yeah. who just needed a competitive outlet. Uh-huh. You know, because they got fed up with their own sport. Yeah. And that was me. I was in the weight room. Um, I would join a local gym. I didn't know at the time everything that I was doing was was that of a bodybuilder. Yeah. I just thought I was I was lifting weights. I was just doing my own thing. I was you know, looking through a few magazines um, and guys in the gym would come up to me and say, oh, when's your show? Or how did you get on in your show? And I was, I, I didn't know, I was like, what show? What are you talking about? Yeah, and they were yeah. like, you know, you, you, you bodybuild, yeah? And I was like, no, I don't bodybuild. You know, I'm just here, I'm just here doing my thing. Yeah. Um, but little did I know, I actually was doing everything that a bodybuilder would be doing, training-wise. Yeah. I mean, nutrition probably wasn't quite on point the same. But ultimately... I was a bodybuilder before I knew it. Bodybuilding found me. Um, I got to it was 2006. I went to I went with a friend to see. I heard about the BMBF and I thought yeah. this is cool. I'm a natural. I mean, I I would look at Flex magazine and I would look at guys like Ronnie Coleman and that, and I, and I knew they were natural. And and whilst I didn't want to be necessarily be them, I found the sport very interesting yeah, and I yeah. and I enjoy I enjoy the challenge of training above mm-hmm. anything else. And I found out there was a natural federation, so I was I went to the BNBF Scottish in two thousand six. I then went to the BNBF British in mm-hmm. two thousand six, and I was absolutely blown away, AJ, by everything about it the the standard, the competitors, the show production, the atmosphere. And I thought this is this is what I want to do. You know, yeah. this is this is my world. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know, I'm a competitive guy, and I, and I needed an outlet. Yeah, yeah. And, and he and here and here it was. So the year after, my friend actually competed. And I went to watch him, and uh, I remember thinking I should have done it that year, but you know, I still didn't quite feel I was ready. And I thought, let's have another year, 2008. That'll be the year, the year I go for it. Sure. And and that's what I did, and that's what got me to my first show. I was 24 years old. I entered the BNBS Scottish in 2008 as a novice, 
and it ended up being pretty much one of the best days of my life, AJ. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I I won the novice class, um, and I also won the best wheels in it. I went on to win the overall title of Mr. Scotland in that show as well. And after that, you know, they say you're either bitten by the bug or you're not, and I certainly was. And, and the rest, is, as they say, is history. Amazing. And uh, that that was my first show, uh-huh. and the rest the rest just fell in fell in place after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean. Like, like you know, I think when it comes to finding bodybuilding, things have changed obviously since um, since sort of the the older days where you had to, you know, almost social media wasn't as evident. You no. didn't see bodybuilders on Instagram. As you know, Instagram wasn't around. Neither was Snapchat, etc. So, no. you, you your way into bodybuilding had to be quite natural. Um, had to be quite a natural sort of swift. Switch into into the yeah. gym, into enjoying the gym, enjoying your training, and then obviously competing on stage. Um, and for me, obviously, uh, coming from a competitive background as well, like I was in motorsport, and it's funny, like you said just then okay. about hearing why you ended and why you switched, and because yeah, of the, yeah, because of the recovery aspect, the injuries, etc. I think I see that quite frequently with people that switch from rugby as well. It tends to be an injury, consistent sure, injuries that, sure, that sure. get people. Ah, I hate rugby. Like all I get is injuries, and um, yeah, you know they, yeah. they, they they don't quite you know have the potential to take it to that next level. And I think it's the same with me. Like when I ended motorsport, for me, um, I was super passionate about it. But oh to yeah, get oh to, yeah, to get to the elite level, which is what I always wanted, like. And you know it's what my I see myself in bodybuilding as well. Like I I I want to progress to a level where I'm competing against the best. Like that's always something that I want. Sure. It's in my head, and yeah. that was in my head with motorsport as well. So when I quit motorsport, but it was a financial point of view. So I didn't yeah. have the money to progress to progress to the next level. Um, and I think there's something you know there's definitely merit to finding bodybuilding naturally through your competitive yeah. work ethic I mean, and drive. There, there's a void you find there's a void and you're yeah. you're not done competing you're mm. just done competing and in, in your case motorsport yeah but you but you've got you know plenty left in the tank to give yeah. in another competitive sport and you find that that's commonplace for a lot of guys who end up end up bodybuilding yeah, yeah. absolutely absolutely would you say also there was you know, to the training that you had at um, in sprinting with Olympic lifting, mm-hmm. etc. Yeah, would you say that that was quite beneficial in terms of building just the initial foundations and laying down some yeah. initial tissue? Yeah, I mean, I was probably I was I would say I was dealt a good hand genetically, genetically as well. You know, growing up, I was always I was always that guy at school who had a six pack when all the mates didn't, and I yeah, had. Sure. I had these arms and stuff, and like people would say, "Do you do weights?" I was like, "No," I'd, and I didn't. It was just, you know, I had a good base, and I and I worked at it because I was involved in sport sport all my life, and it mm. does, you know, you're still you're still, a, you're still a young guy, but you're growing and you're building muscle anyway. Absolutely. Um, but when I got into the sprinting, like I said to you, the lifting certainly spearheaded me into bodybuilding because if if, if I didn't sprint, I didn't start lifting the weights, I didn't realize that. I responded really well to weight training and I wouldn't have got into the sport. And when I sprinted, we, we've lifted, obviously, the compound lifts, like I said, um, and we lifted in low, low rep ranges with high, with heavy weight. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's, that. I mean, we can talk about this later, AJ. I don't know if you're, you're going to talk about kind of like my training philosophy or whatnot, but certainly I, 
I almost had a good in to the sport because I, I did not have a problem with lifting heavy and I lifted heavy with the compounds and that was the norm to me. That's just yeah. what we did. Yeah. And you'll find that athletes, um, sprinters in particular, they're incredibly strong for the body weight. They've got yeah. incredible power to weight. Um, and I had a mate who who did he doesn't bodyball, but when we used to sprint, he was 72 kilos and he would back squat 205. Wow. You know, like no belt, no knee wraps. And he was a sprinter. He wasn't lifting to lift heavy. He was just a strong guy. Yeah. So when I first got into the gym, you know, I wasn't phased by guys lifting heavy. It just it was what I was used to. Yeah. And 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 it went from there, and I built a great foundation, and that that essentially laid the groundwork for the, my type of training that I've done ever since. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I think there's something something to suggest that some of the the biggest natural bodybuilders are built upon strong foundations with sure. compound lifts. But I think something that gets confused quite frequently with this whole three compound lifts is yeah. when people start lifting, they're like, oh, well, well, David Kay did Olympic lifting to build his physique. And, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, people like, I'm not sure if you've heard of him, but he, Tom Mack, he did, he did powerlifting. Sam Watt, he did powerlifting. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. they all did powerlifting, but to get the bodybuilding physique that they got, I think it's quite easily confused that, all you have to do is the big three. And yeah, isn't, yeah. Isn't that is it at all? No, no, not not at all. Um, it's not just the fact that you need to obviously vary and add in other exercises. You also need to train in a slightly different style to yeah. what a powerlifter typically would as well. Otherwise, bodybuilders and powerlifters would look alike, and quite often they don't. They no, don't. don't. So it, it is a slightly different focus. One thing is for sure, though, AJ, is that you can't build, as an actual athlete, and I'll stand by this, you cannot build thick, dense, quality muscle without lifting big weights. No way. No way. It, just doesn't, it, just, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. So you, you can't have it the other way around. You can be... A powerlifter can per, perhaps, you know move into bodybuilding but yeah. you certainly can't you know i couldn't have you know mucked around in the gym doing isolation exercises for the first 10 years of my training and then expected to step on stage as a bodybuilder and do any damage it's not it's just not going to happen and it, no and, and 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 you you don't have uh, the choice um you have to put in the big lifts early and you have to put them in consistently yeah um yeah. And, and that's that's the nature of the beast yeah when you were um, initially starting training, so with these big three lifts, because sure. you're very, very good at deadlifting and very yeah, yeah, good yeah. at squatting. How, when you started training, were you training those movements fairly frequently? Um, uh, and has your frequency now reduced over time um, in terms of those bigger lifts? Yeah, I mean, when I was when I was a sprinter, we used to lift. We, we, I would squat or deadlift, and I didn't do a lot of deadlifting when I was a sprinter. It wasn't really seen as relevant. It was power cleans were seen as more relevant. Sure. Still pulling from um, the floor a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I would maybe twice a week, three times a week, I would be performing these lifts. But the key thing to, to understand here is whilst when we were lifting heavy, our volume was quite low yeah. in terms of single session volume, despite a, high, a higher frequency yeah. um, in, terms, in terms of sessions. Of week, yeah. So you, you, didn't, you didn't really, you had, you had lighter sessions and heavier sessions, but the focus wasn't really on pushing the weights to the maximum. The weights were just seen as a, you know, something complementary to the track work. The track work was still the focus. Yeah. Now, getting into bodybuilding, however, I quickly realized that my focus would then change to, slyer, to slightly uh, lower frequency 
in terms of workouts yep. and much higher volume, heavier loads, higher volume per workout. Yep. And that elicited a, a much, much better response in terms of muscle growth. Yeah. Um, and again, there's probably guys out there would listen to that and say, I don't agree with that. But ultimately, you know, I can only go by what I've experienced. And I've, I've done a lot over the years, AJ. I've, I've done a lot of different programs. Yeah. I've tried a lot of different theories. And I always revert back to just going in the gym and for want of a better term knocking your pan in <laughs> and just and just doing the work lifting big lifting with plenty of volume and, and and repeat and just doing that over and over again yeah and and i found that for me that's where i came back to it. and it was probably about 2009 2008 2009 so maybe after the first five years of bodybuilding training that's when the penny dropped yeah. and I, I realized that what i was actually doing in the first place was was the right thing so just yeah. so st stick with it and it's progressing over time is made by effort and consistency it's not made by following some wacky training program that, that's going to promise you pro yeah, yeah promise you you know the world it's effort and time and i'll never forget when i walked into the body academy gym in perth in 2007 and it was just when i was just going to compete the, the year later mm -hmm. i spoke to vicky mccann mm -hmm. Uh, who at the time I didn't know, but she obviously owns the gym, and I I, I told her that that you know I was preparing for, a sh for to do the show. Um, I wasn't quite sure if I, was, if I was doing the right type of training, and she kind of asked me, "What do you do?" And I think I did a session with her once, and she says, "You're doing exactly the right thing. Just keep going." Mm -hmm. And those those three simple words were all I needed to hear. Just keep going, mm -hmm. and you know, she's she's obviously seen seen everyone. And she's yeah. trained with with guys like Rob Hope and Nigel Davis, you know, some of the greatest of all time, and they were the same. Yeah. And it, it, it's no coincidence that I think you'll find a lot of the top guys uh, kind of almost throw away the form book and throw away the rule book and just train. Yeah. And that, and there's something really beautiful and simplistic about that, and mm -hmm. I, I really do think that you know guys, particularly guys getting into the sport, need to remember that 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 you're doing the right thing it's just going to take a bit of time yeah because we we, we all had we all had to put the, the hard yards in you know it doesn't just happen it's so easy to overcomplicate things oh yeah yeah and you know get get your get your head stuck into some extremely long particularly now yeah, yeah periodized with, with, program like, yeah like you said with the rise of social media and whatnot is it's it's a a real melter for someone's brain trying to get into the sport it thinking is. what is the right thing to do because everyone has an opinion yeah you know and, and if you're new into the sport you don't know whose opinion you should be listening to oh, and, yeah. and who yeah so it becomes a it becomes a bit a bit of a minefield in, in that respect 100 percent. um and i think you know a lot of people would probably be interested in terms of you know obviously your training has evolved over time since you were a yeah. lifting etc but for the most part you know your, your structure and your sessions has been pretty similar um so g give us an idea as to how a uh, normal week would look for you in yep. terms of how you'd lay things out and also maybe particularly touch a little bit on the actual structure of the session so yeah, yeah, yeah. by that i mean where you would situate compound lifts and why etc sure no no problem um okay not overly complicated i train with weights at the moment i only train four days a week with weights and that is basically a seven obviously 
uh, through a seven-day cycle, I do back on a Monday. Uh-huh. I do shoulders and triceps on Tuesday. I'll have a rest day Wednesday. On Thursday, I'll hit legs. Um, and then rest day Friday. Saturday, I'll do chest and biceps. And then Sunday's a rest day. Yeah. And that then repeats on Monday, I'm on, I'm on back again. Yeah. And I find that over the years, I've done slightly higher frequency than that. Um, I've not really ever tried lower frequency, but I what, found that... What sort it, of splits have you tried, David? Like push-pull Yeah, legs, I mean, I, or... I, yeah, I tried, you know, for, for a while I got... Th- something that seems to be gaining momentum at the moment is this kind of push-pull lower split, yeah. um, which which I personally don't like, um, okay. on, only because my experience of it wasn't all that successful. I find with the push-pull lower split, it wasn't specific enough. Okay. To bodybuilding, it wasn't specific enough to to really targeting particular body parts. Fair enough. Yeah, yes, it's probably good for a new lifter. Yeah. But beyond a certain point, when you're getting into the nitty gritty of bodybuilding, I didn't feel it, it. It was quite specific enough. Okay. Just my just just my opinion. Makes sense. Um, I've also done you know GVT type workouts. I've done um slightly higher frequency, and I've done a two on one off type split which is similar to what i do now i just have yeah. one less I, I would have one less rest day a week okay but I, I even found with that with a hard if i do a hard leg workout i found that my chest session was compromised the day after i just felt my whole system was abused CNS, and yeah, I, yeah. yeah and having an extra day after that was just more productive uh-huh. so I've, I've essentially through trial and error and learned my body I've, I've come around to realizing that what i do now is my sweet spot Yep. And and that's where I I can have the most success with my training. It's the greatest blend of being able to like like I say knock my pan in, but also recover yep. in time, so that the quality of the sessions isn't compromised either, and I can get progressive improvement, yep. not linear but progressive. Mm-hmm. And I found that you know I would I would encourage any anyone to kind of like take my advice in that respect. I'm not saying do exactly what I say, sure. but I'm saying, you know, don't get too caught up in what a program tells you you should be doing. Get caught up in, am I training as hard as I can? Mm-hmm. Am I actually putting in the work? What works for you, etc. And, yeah. and am I actually progressing? Yeah. Um, and quite often programs will tell you what to expect to lift and what you should be lifting not actually perhaps what you're capable of yeah so that's i mean that's a different kind of that's a area mi- yeah, that's, entirely that's, yeah that's a mindset point of view i think people hold them hold themselves back quite a lot of the time and in terms of you know programs that dictate how, how sure, much you're meant sure. to lift that's definitely yeah. a restriction yeah. on how much yeah. you can progress i think again at the same time people will look at numbers and, and I've, I've been like this as well. Like I'll, I remember vividly when I was, um, in 2014 or tw- no, 2015 during my contest prep, I saw someone with four plates on a squat and in my gym at the time, that, that was the first time I ever saw someone with four plates on a yeah. squat besides watching your videos or, or Damien's videos. And by yeah. that, I was just like, Damien's not even human. So I just put that away. <laughs> but, um, I, um, I, um, I, I was watching it and I was like, wow, like one day I, I just love to hit 180 for like just, just one rep, just have four yeah. plates on there. Yeah. Yeah. And um, when I, as soon as I, as soon as I achieved that, I realized that 
I again, I wanted more. But if your you limitation, have to re recalibrate, yeah, yeah your, your kind of objectives. If yeah. your limitation is stuck on one number, you're never going to break past that. So nah. that 180 squat, it will take you way longer to get there. And once you're there, your progression is now a ceiling. So you, yep. you'll find it very yeah. difficult to go above that. Absolutely. Um, but you know, setting setting your goals, you know, extremely high, like worryingly high probably the best thing like i'd rather end a year with goals that were so high that i came very close but didn't quite get them yeah. rather than goals which were pretty low and, and, and just smashed them, them yeah yeah yeah. Um, yeah and so yeah i think that's really important from a from a mindset point of view in in terms of your sessions themselves mm -hmm. um, yeah we'll I talk think, about that i think something I think something that a listener might have a question on, and by all means, if you're listening to this halfway through and you already have a question, make a note and then comment it in the in the comment section. Um, but in terms of your sessions and the amount of volume that you're doing in a session, sure. I think someone would have the question as to if are you getting to a point in a session where you're quite fatigued, so that some of the work towards the end of the session gets of a I mean I know that it won't be the case with you but someone listening might think that the, yeah. the quality will get lower yeah. because you're slowly getting more fatigued and yeah. that splitting the work across the week might work better for some but obviously for you it works really well so how do you think you've maximized the ability to do a lot of volume in one session and still the quality oh. of the work be high yeah I mean there's two what you've said is correct I think for a for a a kind of moderate moderate lifter yeah um, I, I hate I, I hate trying to label people because you know everyone's at different stages in, in their career or whatnot yeah, yeah, yeah but for for someone like for example if someone trains with me they can they're, they're cool for maybe a third for a half of the workout uh -huh. and then then they do die of a slow death <laughs> in, fact, in fact it can be quite a, 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 a steep slope for some people yeah. there are there are guys and particularly women vicky mccann in particular who can train who can hang no bother at all and uh -huh. they'll do everything i do yeah. and if we want to do more we'll do more mm -hmm. but you know, ultimately, two things there. How do you cope with a higher volume? One is that you you just become adapted yeah. and you become fitter. You don't just become stronger, you become fitter. Um, and fit is not a word that's actually associated with bodybuilding no, a lot. No, not at all. But, but if I think of when I'm in the gym, if I'm doing a leg workout and it's upward of two hours and my volume's high, my pulse rate is basically elevated for almost two hours yeah, yeah, yeah. so you so you do develop a fitness yeah um but secondly i think the bigger factor is nutrition mm, okay. i truly believe that if you pay attention to your nutrition particularly your pre-workout nutrition yeah that will give you more beans for want of a better term throughout your workout okay. and that's something that over over the years i have paid more and more attention to yeah. um, and you, and you, my, people were always concerned with nutrition going out of a workout yeah, yeah but no it's it's all about going in because what's in before your workout is actually what's going to be there that's going to be usable when you're finished almost yeah, yeah, yeah. so i found that just an increase in carbohydrate in particular going in, going into my training i mean i'm a super high high carb guy anyway that's no that's no secret yeah, yeah. but i found that i found that even i had room, room to increase it and it's paid dividends, and certainly the quality of my lifting from start to finish um, over the past two years has has benefited 
from about, you know. Um, what about intra workout, Dave? Are you having any uh, intra views nah, with carbohydrates? I, I'm not, intra? No, I'm not massive on intra. Um, I think once you're going, you don't need anything. Okay. Pre like pre workout, I do. I don't chase the buzz. I don't chase stimulants when I train. Matter of fact, I actually don't like it. Me neither. Uh, I think, I and ultimately, jaded. I think if you need, yeah, if you need stimulants to give you a kick up the ass to train then you obviously don't love your training and yeah. you maybe you maybe need to look at other factors but certainly i found that for me carbohydrate consumption in you know uh a drink form with even just brand chain aminos something going in okay um just to give you a final top up just before you train is enough to see me through but that's not going to fill the hole if your nutrition for the rest of the day was crap as well. You yeah, know, there's of course. You, you have to have every, everything on point. Um, whereas beforehand, I would probably eat slightly less going into the workout, or I would have had too long a gap before yeah. I trained um, between my last meal and and then subsequent, you know, subsequently my so post workout quite, shake. You having very it quite close. close? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I'll chug it about ten minutes before I start training. Yes. Yeah. And but of course, does, what does that sort of contain? Like what what cover height? What, ah, what, see, what that's, that's the secret. That's the secret, ah. AJ. I can't. I can't disclose that. <laughs> I could, but you know, could be can't. Okay, I could could but have to kill you. And I and I like you. You know, no, it's just it's it's pretty straightforward. It's just a a, a cyclic dextrin. Okay. So I kind of like slow burning carbohydrate with some aminos. Um, just in just in the system. Um, and it, it definitely helped, particularly when dieting. I found it definitely saw me through, and it helped me maintain fullness through the workout as well. Yeah. Um, and you know, again, it's personal to me. I find it productive. Yeah. So so I so I run with it. You know. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, so, yeah. Um, I think yeah. that's something that people um overlook. Dave is like their nutrition and their recovery yeah. as yeah. a result of their nutrition because when we're chasing like maximum muscle and we're also chasing progressive overload in each session we need to be ready and we need to be recovering as quick as possible sure especially sure. when you know people like my, myself and quite a few other people will, will probably and even people like well, actually everyone everyone including yourself because you've got you've got a lot of volume to recover from for your sure, next session. Yeah, so you've yeah. still got to be on top of your recovery even though you're hitting body parts you know once every seven days you've still got to be nailing it and i think unfortunately with something that i i feel that's holding a lot of people back is again and you know, we will touch on nutrition more but i think with the whole flexible side of dieting you know the whole flexible dieting thing i think that yeah. it's something that's what's holding people back is the fact that they lack structure in a flexible diet absolutely so absolutely when the the way that competitors get an edge on people that are being lazy with structure is because they are recovering faster they're putting in nutrients at the right time they're they're consistent with their patterns of eating they know yep. exactly how they're going to feel in their session and exactly how they're going to absolutely recover. that's um, that's the important thing yeah, yeah there's three 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 key point charts they made there aj if i just butt in there for, for a it. second if I can remember, one was about um, consistency, which yep. is true. Yep. Consistency is king in bodybuilding. Yep. That's something that I can contextualize for you guys later if it comes to that. Uh, the other point was this issue of flexible dieting versus structured. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a structure guy. I know you And are, you yeah. will, no one, no one will ever convince me that flexible dieting is suitable for a competitive bodybuilder. Yeah. And I would, I would be as 
as you know blunt about it as that yeah. Um, and look at look at the records. Look at the guys that are at the top of the sport. How many of those guys? The the, the two guys at the top of the sport. Yeah. Not your not social media guys. Yeah. The guys who actually compete at the top. Yeah. They will they will follow a structured plan. And um, nutrient timing was the third element that you talked about. Yeah. Nutrient timing is something that is massive. It's something that's largely misunderstood, and it's something that I have or I believe I have got on top of over the years mm-hmm. um, through trial and error and also through working with some of the best people in the industry and knowing, knowing my body nutrient timing so yeah. important particularly yeah. with regards to recovery yeah i think you yeah. know as you mentioned the the funny thing is it's like a lot of people will maybe listen to that if they know the sport of natural bodybuilding well they'll say there was one person that got to the top and did very yeah. well, and that was Brian Whitaker. But if you look yep. at Brian Whitaker, he's got incredible structure to his day. Yes, he's coached by a coach that advocates flexible dieting, but yep. Brian Whitaker has structure. Brian Whitaker, oh, I'm, yeah. pretty, I'm almost 100% sure, eats pretty similar meals, exactly the same timings. Brian Whitaker's like a professor, you can, I'm pretty sure. You can, yeah, um, and so he's, yeah, got, he, he's got to be eating the same meals every single day, yep, pretty much. Yeah, um, you can... You can almost see, AJ, sorry to butt in, you can no almost see it, you can see the work in people's physiques. You and you can, see, you, you can see not just the work as in a couple of weeks' work, a couple of months, you can see years of work in people's physiques. Yeah. And Brian Whitaker, you know, I don't want to speak for Brian, but I don't know Brian that well. Obviously, yeah. speak to him a little bit. And yeah, I, I, think, I, I think Brian's a structure guy. Um, structure with training, training and nutrition. You can see it in someone's physique. It's just it it tell it tells him my other way. Yeah. You can yeah. I think you know, Brian's obviously and, at the top of his game and he's been in it for a for a serious amount he, of time. Yeah, yeah. So you know that that doesn't happen by accident either. No you know. So that is you know, and, and not just Brian, I mean look at all the all the guys. I, mean, I I can speak personally for myself and I can speak for probably like eighty percent of the top natties because I know them all personally. Yeah. And of and, and, and and there are slight differences between our, our approach, but they all come under the umbrella of the same thing. Yes. And that is heavy lifting, mm-hmm. plenty of carbs, yeah. um, structured dieting. And yeah. I can't, I really can't advocate any more than yeah. that, you know. Yeah. The proof sense. is in the pudding, as they say. That's it, that's it, the proof yeah. is in the pudding. You know, you look at, you look at the top, take what they're doing, um, and there is a trend. There is a trend. So yeah. there's got to be something for, to say for that. Um, I think. I think. Yeah. Just to butt in as well. This is something that we might talk about. I, I keep jumping in, AJ, because it's not... it's important. It's important that I get this across that yeah. it is a trend, but it's a trend of discipline and hard work. Yeah. And that is something that people quite uniquely try and get away from in a sport that is fundamentally based on discipline hard and hard work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you you can't escape that, guys. Um, and and nor should you try to because if you're in bodybuilding for the right reasons you'll relish the challenge 100 yeah, percent. you will and um you know no, no matter what the pro- the approach if you if you're looking to build as much muscle as possible or get as lean as possible yeah both are pretty simple yet difficult tasks so absolutely getting into contest shape provided you actually get into contest shape because a lot of people probably don't and miss the mark but or have more to give, um, then you know you will experience how 
how difficult it is, um, you know, whatever the approach. So if anything, I think, you know, you want to be looking at what the best people are doing, yeah. um, if not trying to emulate it as much as you can Absolutely. to create the best results. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think we covered, we covered that really, really well. Um, yeah. In terms of your training itself, I'd I'd like to ask a few questions specifically to what you're doing now. So, sure. Um, now with with sort of people that I've talked with in the past, and um, I guess people on the circuit, and both natural bodybuilding, assisted, etc. Um, log booking sessions has become quite a big thing of as of late, um, and making sure you know we 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 know exactly what we're doing on a specific day. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I'd really like to get your stance on sort of whether you log book your sessions. Um, and why you do or don't <laughs> yeah yeah no no is a simple answer <laughs> i don't i i i don't have a logbook i've never had a logbook um, and i've never had a logbook in any competitive sport i've ever done now that's not to say that i believe i am against logbooking sure. not at all not yeah. at all it's just nothing it's just never been relevant to me personally um and i may be a bit of an anomaly in that regard i don't know um yeah. You know, I personally never really found value in it. Um, I can understand that people use it not 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 simply just to remind themselves of like how much they lifted the week before. Yeah. But ultimately, to to be able to look back and use it analytically and look at you know periods of training which were going particularly well or periods that didn't go well and and see if there's something that they can pull out of it, a theme or you know or a trend. Trend, yeah. Um, I try and look at my training. Um, a bit more holistically, I, I believe that you know your training does work in cycles, and you can't, you can't, um, just like just like the way two diets are not the same, training will never be the same either because our, our body is always going under undergo changes. Uh-huh. Um, I don't, you know, I don't feel the need to look back and remind myself what I've lifted in the past because I know I've got you know I've got thousands of workouts. Uh, lodged lodged in this brain brain of mine and you know i'm fully aware of what i i I left um, and what i'm expecting to lift to to put it simply guys for the viewers out there my kind of method methodology going in is that if i'm approaching a lift be it a deadlift with a particular weight i know what my personal best is with regards to max weight or reps and i just and i just try and beat that every workout now it may seem simple and it may kind of seem well, that sounds like a bit of a kind of bro style type lift, but to me, that's training. And you know, whilst I may not may not hit PBs every workout, sometimes I blow past them, sometimes I don't make it. So you know, that doesn't a logbook wouldn't change that. It wouldn't necessarily give me any uh, any further benefit. I don't sure. think it would add add any value to my training and my sure. prep uh, and bodybuilding. And, and ultimately. AJ, I don't really feel, again, to put out a disclaimer, I've got no issue with logbooking. I'm sure people do find value in it. Makes sense, yeah. yeah but logging your training does not tell you how intense you are. Logging your training does not cater for effort. Logging your training does not um, ensure progress. And in my opinion, a lot of people log training because it's fashionable. Yeah. And, and it seems to be another, not fad, I don't, I don't want to use logbooking as a fad because it's not but i think it's another piece of kit that has become bodybuilding in the 2000 bodybuilding and, yeah. yeah you know um and th- i kind of throw away the book completely and just <sighs> get in and get in and get the job done yeah 
So take 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 what you want from it, guys. Some people, you know, I'm not saying don't log log your workouts, not at all. I'm saying do that if you if you want, but I don't think it's an essential. No. Personally, no. I mean, well, I, it, I I certainly haven't. But again, again, like the proofs in the pudding. There's some people out there that have never logged book a session ever and are incredibly muscular and have had great yeah. results and can get incredibly strong. I think it, 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 it you know, obviously from from my side of, of things, you know, from a from a progressive standpoint, I'd I'd find it difficult to remember my sessions um, sure. to an extent. I think um, I like the feeling of knowing exactly what I've got to do to beat the last session. Um, yeah, yeah. And I like the pressure of that, but I think I do agree with you to an extent when you mention, obviously, people get tied up in the fashion of it. And I think sure. that's that's 100% true because people will not only, you know, look at their logbook and think that, oh, God, you know, that looks heavy. I'm, I'm not sure if I can go for that today. Let's, yeah, let's, let's turn yeah. it down a bit. And, and yeah. that cancels out intensity. And at the same time, when you're starting logbooking your training, you can't negate intensity. So you can't just start no. with no. a low-intensity approach. You, you can't because you yeah. know, over time, like, it will take you 16 weeks maybe, maybe two months, like, three months to get to the point where you're actually training with intensity you've yep. not progressed you've just got to a point where you're actually training properly over a long yeah, period of time yeah yeah you're just you've just you've you've learned the ability to apply intensity or train harder and you know Absolutely. that's so that's so true for like kind of novice lifters you know it takes it takes ages for some people to realize what intensity is and what, yeah like what that last rep should actually look like rather than yeah. you know oh wow you know I beat last week and it looked yeah. like you had like yeah. 10 in the tank um, yeah. I think at the same time there is some merit to having some sessions or some lifts where there is somewhat something left in the on the table to an extent because when you look at um, from a longevity point of view, I think people sometimes when they are taking things you know pushing things to the ne the next level they will put themselves at risk of injury too frequently. 100%, yeah. But, 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 but at the same time, you will have days where it's... you should put yourself at risk of injury yeah, because I mean... you're pushing the lifts. That's a double-edged sword, and you can't you can't get away from the you can't get away from the the fact that you need you need to chase poundages. You do, um, and don't let anyone tell you you don't. You need to chase poundages to improve, but you chase them on the right day. Yes. Um, and and you don't. I mean, I'll I'm happy to use my own experiences as as an example, but quite often, you know, if I'm approaching a deadlift and I've got say six plates on the bar, I know what I can do with that, and I try and beat it. But one yep. day I might just pull the pull the first rep and think that's just not there today, guys. That's a grind. So yeah. I'll just I'll sack it and I'll go down maybe to just like a five plate set and I'll do maybe three three just three sets with, with, with high reps. Yeah, five <laughs> plates, you know, just like fifteens or something, you know, and just just rep it out and and I'll walk away thinking I've managed to to gather some sort of intensity. But I'm injury free. Yeah. It's not dangerous. And and that's something I've had to learn the hard way. And I'm sure a lot of guys would agree with me. They've that ability to not sack your workout, but the ability to change tact and change perspective. Uh -huh. And look and and okay, I wanted to do this, but what is my body telling me that I can do today? Yeah. And you can walk away, fight, live to fight another day. 
because a week will come round quick and I'll be on that deadlift platform again and I might feel better, you know. You're putting way more pennies in the tank as a result yeah, of that yeah, rather, yeah. Than, rather than doing one session, grinding out a rep, getting a herniated disc and not deadlifting Correct. for Correct. six months. Yeah. If you had six months of actual beneficial workouts, well, you'd, you'd... it's funny. You yeah, it's it's funny because I, I, I remember um, actually having a discussion with, with a fellow pro about this. Uh-huh. And I was talking about, you know, great workouts. And, you know, people put great workouts... Um, they advertise them, they'll put them on Instagram, they'll put them on Facebook, and they feel great about themselves. Yeah. But how often are those great workouts happening? Probably not all that frequently. Mm. And the, real- the reality is, it's those workouts, and this is the best piece of advice I can give to people, because this is the real deal. Mm. Those workouts where you don't feel great, you've had a hard day at work, you've got relationship problems, you come in the gym, your head's a mess, you can grind out the session that day. And you give everything. And you walk out of the gym thinking, I couldn't have given any more, and I won. I won. Yeah, yeah. And doing that over and over again, that's money in the money in the bank. That's yeah. what builds a physique. It's not those it's not those kind of like one one in every ten workouts, which is an absolute smasher. They're not the ones that build the physique. You know, they make you feel great, but that's not what's actually building the physique. And it's important to realise that bodybuilding is, is is about the grind when no one's looking. Yeah, and that's 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 what makes a difference. Yeah, and and applying that intensity every day yeah. when no one's looking. It's the same, you know. It's the same. It's the same sort of analogy as if you looked at a powerlifter, and you saw a video of their one rep max attempt, and they're like, yeah. "Whoa, like yeah. that's a huge lift." And um, but what you don't see is behind the oh, behind yeah. that lift was several horrendous sessions yeah. which some of which you know if you're squatting like three four times a week you'll turn up you do not want to get under that squat bar. <laughs> no. you do not want to squat there's nothing else you want to do other than not squat and you still do it and yeah. i i think that you know it's 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 it is those sessions that do make do, that do make the difference and it's those sessions that half half the people that don't make it don't turn up and do um that's it and you know it, to relate this again to nutrition it's the same when you know you're you're the one that's adhering to your your structure and there's another guy out there who's not adhering to structure not not maybe not recovering or even worse he's cheating he's going over his calories yeah. massively um when he's starving he's hungry and you know you turn up on stage turn to the rear and you can see one yeah. has and one has um, yeah. so it, it it is the 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 next level of effort that will really take your physique to that next level and it's obviously evident in yourself by pinning yeah. together those yeah. years of doing that well you know? it is and it, and it's a it's a, a phrase that i i use and it's one of marginal gains and bodybuilding is a sport of marginal gains and if i give an x of one percent or i can get an x of one percent over my competitors every workout yeah. over the whole year that's that's a difference mm-hmm. over the whole year that's me coming first or me coming fifth yeah you know and okay that's an overly simplistic way of looking at it but that's the truth of it, it um yeah. and it's a uh, bodybuilding yeah it's physical but it's far more mental yeah it's um, a it's, it's, the, it's a mental challenge and that's why we love it because it is we, we wouldn't have it any other way you know yeah. yeah 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 i think that's a great 
interlude into one of my final topics and that's really to surround some questions in terms of um the mindset and sort of more sure. of your life as a as, as, a, as a bodybuilder that's at the elite level. Yep. So we, we kind of touched on this a, a little bit um, previously with sort of looking at the top pros and, and what they do, but as a pro yourself, um, what have you noticed? And I know you're at like pretty much every single BNBF show, etc. cetera, and sure. you've, seen, yeah. you've seen quite a lot over the years in terms of what's happened. And also what I'm very interested in is in when amateurs go to that next level and become pro. Yeah. So what have you seen, and I'm sure you've talked to a lot of amateurs that have gone, done gone pro, but what have you seen from a mindset or characteristics that feature in people that were amateur and have now taken it to that next level? And is there mm-hmm. anything that you've seen that just you look at someone and you think, Unless something changes, you're probably always going to be on the amateur circuit. Um, yeah. Is there something that you just think, wow, yeah. that's, that's something that makes someone click and they're probably yeah. going to go Yeah, I mean, this is something that, this is a massive topic, KJ. There's a lot I could I could comment on there. <laughs> and I always, without sounding, you know, overly critical or self-indulgent, yeah. I, I liken people to myself when I was younger. And like my sort of approach, and I can see it. You're right. I meet a lot of guys, males and females, uh, throughout throughout the shows I attend, and I speak to a lot of people online. I get a lot of people kind of contact me, okay. and I I remember the mindset I had and the mindset I still have, and I, and you can see it in people, yeah. And you and you can you can almost feel it in people. It's all it's it's almost tangible when someone's in it for the right reason. I mean, with regards to kind of what what it takes, if that's your question, what does it take to get to the next level? There's various factors at play here. One, one, one. I hate to say it, but we can't overlook genetics. Of course. Some people, some it's it's a sport. Yeah. Not everyone can be Usain Bolt. Not everyone can be a pro bodybuilder, and not everyone can be a pro world champ. Makes but sense. if everyone's putting in 100% effort, genetics are going to they are going to factor, okay? Of course. That's just life. Yeah. Beyond that, though, um, it really comes down to, to that mindset of progression and, and basically wanting to wanting to improve rather than saying you want to improve. And that sounds so simple. Yeah. But, you know, if you speak to any of the guys, they don't, you know, guys that are now pro live and breathe bodybuilding, okay? Um, and... I would I would argue that there is no greater um, point in someone's competitive career as when they are a top amateur on the brink of turning pro. Yeah. Because yeah. because you're so immersed in it and you're yeah. there's so much on the line and it's so pure. Because you might want to talk about this, but the difference between competing at pros and amateurs is different. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's the same sport, but it's different in many ways. Yeah. In Britain, you're very very fortunate. There's natural federations in Britain. I'll talk about the BNBF because that's where I came through. But people in Britain don't realise how fortunate they are to have the BNBF, to have the show quality, to have this rigorous drug testing, to have the venues, the lighting, the setup, the professionalism, everything about it is, it's it's a beautiful scenario for natural bodybuilding. And when, when you're an amateur striving in those ranks, that is as good as it gets. Um, and 
guys that are I mean I don't want to get away from kind of the question that you asked me so so like rein me back in <laughs> if, I, if I'm going off on tangents but you know I know I see guys every year um, and I can tell the guys that are going to progress and the guys that are not and it's usually down to things like um, rate, of, rate of progression whether or not they improve what they you've told them to improve now this is this is this is something that a lot of guys come up and ask for feedback but guys come back the next year and they've obviously not taken on board your feedback or they've not put forth a decent effort to improve what you've asked them to do so Makes when sense. i see that that's an indicator to me of someone that's going to c- continue to progress um someone who takes time away okay and i'm not advocating that everyone should take time away from the stage but some guys are happy to put it away to put the clothes on, not to splash yourself all over on social media and come back and do the talking on stage, yeah. okay? Some people just can't stay away and they turn in year in, year out, year looking year out. variants of the same. A little bit better, a little bit worse. And they're a little bit better one year and you think, oh, maybe they've turned it around. And then no, the next year they come back and they're, they're, not, really, they're not any better. I need to see, as a judge, um, I like to see kind of a linear progression with physiques particularly if you're quite young in the sport yeah. if you're not improving year on year out it's not going to happen because to turn pro you need to have the mindset and and just by default you're going to improve yeah you know yeah, yeah, yeah. once once you get into the pro ranks now this is where this is where it all changes because once you get into the pro ranks two things are going to happen uh-huh. one one is that you're going to excel and or one is that you're going to be lost. You're going to be lost in a sea of fellow professionals who are all pretty good, but you're never going to win a show again in your life. So some guys have gone from being top amateurs, winning a pro card, and it's it's effectively ended their career. In that, while whilst that sounds harsh, while, while whilst they may thoroughly enjoy competing they're not going to taste the success that they had at amateur level amateur because level, the yeah. standard's so much higher mm. and that's cool that's yeah. cool that's sport they may still thoroughly enjoy it because they're, they're, they're still progressing in their own way um being pro is great if you're a good pro um i i don't know how much fun it would be if you're kind of get if you're at the back all the time, you know, and you're you're not actually kind of like at the top because it's such a change from the the nice cotton wool environment of amateur bodybuilding. Yeah. And quite often when you compete in pro classes, I'm fortunate I get a show in Britain. But yeah. if I didn't have that, you're travelling abroad. abroad. So you, there's expenses that are incurred and whatnot, and it's just a cold environment. There's guys out there who you don't know. Not everyone's as friendly. You have respect, hmm. um, but you're against other guys who are the genetic elite you you know at pro level you could be you could be the top pro but you're guaranteed that there's guys backstage pumping up with you that have got better body parts you know but and and sometimes if you're in in the amateur amateur division you know you're just the best guy in Mm. every respect yeah but as soon as you go into the pro lineup it becomes a bit it's a bit of a lion's den to be honest and um I've seen new pros being eaten alive, to be honest with wow. you, mate, and, yeah, and, and yeah. that's that that's part of, you know, just climbing the ladder. It's a learning curve, um, yeah. It's a huge learning curve, and you have to take that on board pretty seriously, because I would argue the gulf, the gulf between, you know, 
a, a junior and a top amateur is is probably the same yeah as like a new pro to to an elite pro it's that big a jump and it's quite it's quite a, a prospect and i remember my first i mean i i wouldn't say i was lucky because it's nothing to do with luck but i won my first pro show but nonetheless that doesn't that doesn't change the fact that the first worlds i went to i was walking around backstage with with, with people who were names people who i'd looked up to yeah. people who you know i was just honored to compete with and that's an eye-opener and you, you either take that and think hey I'm not going to be, I, I, yeah. I'm not going to be a fan anymore. I'm going to be a rival, or you're, or you're just going to accept that these. I'm never going to be on a par with these guys. Yeah. And you know, that's that's kind of like the, the the difference. I mean, it, like p- pull me back, mate. You know, jump in at any time if there's right. anything you want to want to pick I, up on. I mean, but, I honestly think that, that that's exactly what I wanted to hear. Is that yeah. You know, you you've seen it in people. I think what it what it comes down to is obviously a combination of the work ethic and the genetic the genetic potential. Because sure. you know, if if someone turns up and they quite frankly just don't just don't have it, like they could still become a great bodybuilder. They could, like, yeah. in terms of genetic yeah. potential, they could still become a great bodybuilder and they could potentially win like regional shows. Sure. Maybe maybe sure. At, a, at a Britain that you know the right people turn up, they could do well. But that flicking the switch to becoming, you know, a professional, especially when you're in such a hard environment as the Correct. BMBF, because you, Agreed. To, to to win your pro card in the BMBF, it's you, a big deal. Yeah, yeah, you 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 have to do something incredible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you, you have yep. to have sum it all together and do it all at the right time, because you can't you can't just get away with doing it at any old show and win go home no. with your pro card after your first season. You no, know, you'd have to be no. you'd have to be something quite incredible to do that. Um, yeah, so I think that. Um, and that's the great thing. That's the great thing is that you don't you don't get it handed to you. Like you don't get it gifted. You have to work for it. Earned, um, earned, earn not given is yeah. kind of like the phrase that we always used. And that anything anything that you you achieve in natural bodybuilding through the BMBF or now the GFAC, who I, I compete for, yeah. you don't get anything without earning it. Yeah. Um, and that's cool for the British guys because we've grown up, like you say, through the BMBF where. There's one pro card, you know, one male overall one. pro card a year, yeah. one. So, you know, some some great bodybuilders can either never earn the pro card or or they can spend about five years trying, trying to get it. Yeah. You know, they're all already at the top. Um, you know, so we have we have a tough a tough system, yep. but but we have a great system, yeah, and that's and that is why Britain punches way above its weight. And, and in terms of bodybuilding achievements, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Rel- um, relative, yeah. When when you say obviously when you're talking, I had a question on this that I wrote down sure. as well. So when you're backstage with people and you know you know their big names, etc., yep. and they've got big pot, you know, potentially better body parts, etc., and you know at the same time, like you've got a huge following. There's people that yeah. there's people have that, that, that really look up to you, especially in the UK. I, I know that for sure. So do you still get nervous? Do you still <laughs> feel the pressure? And how do you deal with that as a competitor yeah. that's got okay. on them? I'm glad you asked that AJ, because I think this is something that I'll be completely honest about as well. Yeah. And I think, I think that guys will probably want to hear this. Mm. Um, Yes, mm-hmm. yes is a simple answer, and I'm going to explain explain a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, 
no matter what level you compete at and no matter what your achievements are, you you will always, always have the fear, right? Yeah, and I, yeah. I, I'm going to just use a general term of the, the, the fear. And what I mean by that is because you're so competitive and you love the sport, you go through processes of self-doubt all the time. Yes, yeah. And that is a self-doubt which is kind of merged with a confidence that you have in your own ability. Uh-huh. And you need you need that doubt because that doubt is what drives you all the time. And that doubt is what pushes you and makes you diet hard and train hard because you can't let yourself down, okay? Yeah. Um, and I, even to this day, I will go backstage and I'm nervous, 100%. When I pump up, you've got two choices. You either run away and hide in a corner, <laughs> you know, or, or you step up. Yeah, and you you go on stage and get the job done. Now, of course, the latter is what was what we would do, but y- people can win and lose shows backstage psychologically. They yeah, can they yeah, can bomb, yeah, I and, I, and we've all seen it. We've all seen great physiques fall apart on stage because nerves get the better of them. Oh, and I'll, I'll always say, everyone's nervous. Everyone is nervous. The key is just not everyone needs to know you're nervous. Okay, yeah. and and over time. What I would say is I've learned to control the nerves and to, to channel them into something positive. And I can honestly say I can do that now. Yeah. But even even up to maybe a few years ago, I would panic. You'd get you'd panic backstage. You wouldn't you wouldn't freak out, but you certainly it wasn't a comfortable a comfortable feeling. Mm, um, but yeah. now 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 I feel I've learned to kind of channel it and that's just experience and it's just about learning your that, you know, hey, I've put a lot of work into this, I better enjoy it. Um, I know what I'm capable of. I do have a right to be here. I've worked hard. Let's go and yeah. let's get the job done. And and you will never, you'll never ever get rid of the fact that when you look in the mirror backstage and you're pumping up, you still see that little novice yeah, that was competing way way back in the day. <laughs> and you, because because you're you, yeah. And you you're living it through your own your own mindset, so you don't associate yourself in, in the same light as these people. But they're looking at you thinking the same thing. Yeah. So. That's really refreshing it's, to hear. It's all right, guys. Be nervous because you because you need it. You need the nerves. And the yeah. nerves are a great thing. If think, you don't have them, get out. Yeah, I think if you're not nervous, you probably don't care enough. Like, Correct. I've, yeah. I've, you know, before pretty much most of my shows on like, um, 2015, like, I really, really struggled to sleep. I was, yeah. you know, I was I was just, just, just really, just really nervous because yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I knew that I, I, I knew that I'd put in so much effort and I just wanted to do extremely well and wanted to suffice my efforts basically yeah but at yeah. the same time i think people should um focus really hard on just enjoying the process itself because absolutely if you're in it just for the achievement of it you'll find you'll find you get like a quite a dull feeling after because yeah you'll be like, why the why the hell have i done this for like 20 yeah years or if, you, if you're in it just for the results you'll find that you'll be disappointed more than you'll be you know happy yeah um and even i even always say win, i think yes <laughs> yeah. yes yeah. i always say that people forget places but you don't forget experiences and bodybuilding's yeah. about experiences it's about it's about effort achievement the challenge the camaraderie with friends and the respect yeah. and that that's what, what you should focus on and and also you know going back to what you said i my nerves if you will change in in the sense that I used to be nervous when I first competed no. because I I wanted to look okay and I didn't want to look out of place 
my nerves now come from a different area because it's more it's more of a the weight of expectation pressure, yeah yeah so it, it's a pressure because you are expected to to produce something yeah and and i've read kind of autobiographies of many top athletes and that's a common theme and one one guy it was michael johnson the great athlete um 200 400 meter sprinter once said that you have to consider pressure as a, a privilege because in order to be in that position to feel it you obviously you've done pretty well you've done pretty well so i try and think of it in that respect that people are waiting to see me but hey that's just that's just the position i'm in so yeah. let's let's relish it you know sure, sure. that's because it's it, it, that's what you want when you get into the sport you know absolutely so. yeah totally agree with that and you know to, to to be in your position is is definitely something that's that's a good thing you know I've, yeah yeah i mean I've, I've i've been i've had i've had a good run this yeah. is my ninth if i compete this year which is the plan that'll be my ninth competitive season and you know i've had far more success than i've had failure if you'll call it that and yeah it's been a good experience, but you know, it's obviously it's been a lot of work and it's been a lot of sacrifice. And I genuinely believe that I've put in as much as anyone else, um, if not more. And and you know, I've met the right people, and it's just it's been a real joy. And that's a testament to Vicky McCann and Guy Addison and all, all those people that are involved in in the promotion of natural bodybuilding in Britain and and now in the USA. So thanks, awesome. thanks, Vic and Guy. If you're listening out, you know, thank you very much. Yeah, I'll see you tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. I mean, it's important that like the whole support network scenario sure. of things, and I'm sure that you know to, some of the greatest athletes have some of the greatest people behind them, and that's, sure, that's really important. And uh, you know, whether whether people diet for shows themselves or get coached whatever the situation it is you just stepping on stage but you know that girlfriend that prepped that meal for you or yeah, you know, yeah. that that person who drove you to the gym when you were too tired etc or you couldn't make it that person that sort sent you a text when you were feeling extremely down you know there's huge support networks behind um yeah. sports that require only one person to do the yeah. actual the job but um yeah i think that's really important so um dave i think you know we're we're coming to a good point in terms of sort of wrapping the episode up no what um, is aj i think that one thing that i'd like to sort of leave on would be if someone is listening to this um no matter what their age experience gender etc there's one thing that you really would like more people to take home um, or one thing that you'd like people to take home from listening to you today. Um, yeah. Sort of what would it be um, and why? <laughs> yeah, I mean, a that's a kind of question. That's, <laughs> uh, well, it's a very open-ended question, but I know what I'm, I know what I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. And, and, and one is that, you know, this is a sport. I talked on it before. Bodybuilding is a sport of discipline and it's a sport of fundamentals yeah. you have to be consistent with everything you do and please please understand guys that um it's not a complicated sport it's a simple sport it's a sport of getting your muscles bigger and when you compete getting as lean as possible and there are there are ways of doing that but there are optimal ways of doing that and i, I think you know try and focus on the basics don't overcomplicate your journey 
get a good system of people around you. Find people that you can trust and people that know what they're talking about, okay? Um, that's important. There is many people out there that will tell you that you're brilliant and they'll tell you that you look great all the time. Ignore them. Find a few people find find a few people that you can trust because they're the people that you need. Um, yeah. yeah, and you have to be because the judges will be honest with you. Okay? So I'd rather be told um, that I look rubbish. Not rubbish, but I'd rather be told that I'm not ready all the way up to show day to then be told I look great. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the cruelest the, the cruelest of words during your prep materialize into the kindest words from the judges that's what you need to remember that's really it's just right. yeah and it's a sport ultimately guys it's, it's a sport about effort and intensity and it's not always pretty it's not always going to be a sunny day for you there's going to be hard days there's going to be dark days if you're if you're on prep but you see the light okay mm. and you just work through it and ultimately if you put in this is probably going to tie it up for you aj yeah for the guys out there, no matter what level you're competing at, if you put in everything you've got, everything you've got into that sport, and you're standing on stage, and you've hit all your training as hard as you can, and you've never cheated once in your diet, and you've given it all, that's bodybuilding. Win, lose, or draw, it doesn't matter anymore. Perfect. That's you, that, 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 that's you done the job. Awesome. Okay? Awesome. I think, you know, David, like, that's, that's a great great end um and a great take-home message for anyone that's listening um, yeah i'd you know i'd like to thank you very much for your time again mate you're and, welcome you're welcome um, mate obviously you know for for, for for any reasons that people aren't sort of you know staying in touch with you on social media etc i will leave uh links to sort of where david is is posting sure. etc um in, in the comments below but at the same time like I love it when people engage with the podcast. So if you do have any sort of questions about topics that me and David has raised, then please leave them in the comment section below, and uh, you know hopefully we'll try and get back to them with any sort of clarity on the on the subjects. Um, but yeah, thanks thanks to anyone that listening. Uh, thanks thanks to David, um, and yeah, if you could all. Give this, give this a like if you're on YouTube. Um, if you think that someone should hear this or will benefit from li listening to this, uh, then please share with your friends, uh, family, etc. And uh, yeah, we will see you back for uh, episode 26. Um, but yeah.